The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, if you would please open God's sufficient word to the book of Exodus, chapter 17. And I can't think of a better introduction to the context that we saying earlier, all the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread, even though my weary steps falter and my soul athirst shall be, the song says, gushing from the rock before me, a spring of joy I see. All those images come out of the last few chapters of Exodus, where the Savior has been leading Israel all the way. He was giving them grace for every trial that they have faced on their winding path through the the wilderness, and every day he's been feeding them with living bread from heaven called manna. We saw that in chapter 16, and then in the first part of chapter 17, their souls were thirsty, their bodies were thirsty, but from this rock of ages, they, they could see God's provision, the water that gave them life. But now their steps are going to falter again, and now they're going to face a new challenge that's going to make them grow weary again. Look at Exodus 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And when it says Amalek, it's referring to him and his people, the Amalekites. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, in other words, his hand was tired, Amalek prevailed, but Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. This is God's word. And it speaks beyond physical swords in this situation with spiritual truths for us, even though we're not in this exact situation in what we're facing. Following the Lord throughout Scripture, we see often brings conflict. And we're going to look at this conflict here. And we need to be reminded here that God never gives a never ending vacation of a life of ease for his people in this life. It's a, it's a journey through the wilderness. And, and God did give Israel some temporary R&R. There was an oasis at the end of chapter 15 where it says there were 70 palms, uh, these palm trees and these 12 springs, and it says they encamped by the water. But that was just a stop on the way. Their home was not going to be a Palm Springs resort. They weren't going to get to stay by the water and camp like a, like a family camp. God knows what grows his people is often when it's not smooth sailing. It's hard walking by faith 
that grows his people through the wilderness. I wish it was by relaxing that we would grow, but it's often by resisting, and it's often by opposition, and in the life of faith, there are enemies. When we're making progress, there's going to be opposition and enemies that come if we're living godly. Sometimes we have to be knocked down to look up. Sometimes we have to recognize our weakness and see God's strength. Because all of us are weak. Some of us know it. Others of us need to know it. The life of faith is not a summer walk in the park. It's spiritual warfare as well as this literal warfare that they're facing here. The the life of faith is not a playground. It's a battleground. And if not a a physical fight, there's the battle in our minds. There can often be a war of words in a family, in a home. And it can be wearisome when you go from, it seems like, one struggle to another, one conflict to the next. I know people here have, have gone through that, or that's the journey that you're facing, and it can be wearisome. And the Lord knows that. Sometimes we can look around at the world and it seems like God's enemies are prevailing. Sometimes we see even good leaders fail. Sometimes our hands, sometimes our hearts can grow weak and weary. See, we're not Joshua and we're not Moses, but we have the same need and we have the same Lord. As we're going to see, this passage is going to show us God's power for human weakness and human weariness. Not so much the power of prayer as the power of God, which is represented in the staff of God. And it's going to show us what we've already seen in Exodus. The battle belongs to who? To the Lord. And there's victory in Him. You heard Brian Sayers say that last weekend. If you you weren't here, that's a wonderful message on how we change and the victory we have in the Christian life. I encourage you to listen to. But His people will prevail by his strength, but they need his power, and they need his people alongside them is one of the takeaways from this as well. So the main point in the title is weariness and trust in the battle. And I want to give you the outline here. I'll ask the guys to pull up the slide. But it's the battle with terrorists, the battle with weariness, and then the victory with trust. And first, Amalek's men have been called the first terrorists. You could say this is the first war on terror in the Old Testament, and in some ways it's the first holy war or jihad. It's the first conflict over Jews occupying land. It's the first time we clearly see terror tactics being used. Amalek and his people seem to live in the Arab lands and into modern Palestine. But Moses in verse 7 says, they came and fought Israel And there's more details that Moses is going to give later from Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. Deuteronomy 25, 17 says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary, and he cut you off. He says he he cut off those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Some of the other versions say Amalek attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and worn out. So They attacked you when you were exhausted. 
They struck down those who were feeble, behind, attacking those who could not keep up with the others. He surprised and killed and mercilessly cut off. So that's what's going on here when they came and fought against them. This wasn't normal warfare against the army of Israel. This was a cowardly ambush of the non-combatants. They're actually targeting the women, the children, the elderly, the slow, the handicapped, those who were struggling. They're going after them. This is evil terrorism that doesn't face off for a fight against soldiers. It's this unexpected sneak attack from behind, and it's intentionally against civilians who cannot fight back. And they literally are coming up to backstab them, and, and they're wanting to stir terror among the Israelites. That's not just Old Testament Amalek. That's Al-Qaeda. That's Boko Haram kidnapping girls. Some of those tactics have been used in communist regimes. It's the evil behind those who would kill children and would even go after children. It's the evil behind the culture of death today. And we need to understand this is not New, even though the news maybe makes it seem more. In fact, 6,000 plus years ago, God promised the evil one and his people were going to have enmity against the woman and her children, and only her seed, the Messiah, would be able to ultimately prevail and defeat the serpent Satan. That's Genesis 3. Genesis 36 introduces Amalek as a grandson of Esau. And so we know about Esau and Jacob, or if you remember the story, Esau and Jacob were actually in conflict before they were born. Remember, they were in the womb. They were battling in the womb. There was a family feud that now is still going on centuries later as these descendants of Esau's grandson Amalek are now defighting, or fighting against these descendants of Jacob, renamed Israel, and even from, from the beginning, as Jacob and Esau were born, remember that the heel grabbing, well, Amalek became an Achilles heel to Israel in their history, and they keep coming back. They keep coming and attacking them and sneaking up on them. They keep creeping up into the book of Judges, Amalek and his people. Samuel tells Saul to wipe out the Amalekites, to wipe everything out of them, as God had commanded them to, even their animals. And Saul comes back and he says, I have fulfilled the word of the Lord. Then we hear, bah, in the back, all the animals. And he hadn't really fulfilled the word of the Lord. He had spared their king and apparently had spared others because these Amalekites keep showing up. David has to fight against them. King Hezekiah in his day is still fighting against them. Even the exile, even in Esther's time, we hear about Haman who is an descendant of Agag, the king of, of the Amalekites, who apparently had this descendant, Haman. And he tries another sneak attack. He wants to try to annihilate and wipe out the Jews. But God raised up Esther. Remember that story for such a time as that. Haman died, but we can see this same principle in Hitler, in Hamas, in those who by hate would still want to attack Israel and others. The Jewish Encyclopedia says, Every year, remember what Amalek did unto thee, 
from, from Moses, is read in the synagogue in the Sabbath preceding Purim. That's the feast celebrating Esther. The rabbis say the seed of Amalek is the principle of hatred and wrongdoing. Amalek became the popular term for Jew-hater. And to this day, terrorists and racists often hate Jews along with other ethnic groups and often use the same tactics as Amalek of the Old Testament. Anti-Semitism, but also anti-Christian persecution is on the rise, not just around the world, but here. And here Israel doesn't negotiate with terrorists. They go to war against them, but the point not to miss is they need God's help. And as we think about battles and soldiers around the world, we need to remember they need our help. They need our prayers as well. Because there are people like Amalek still alive and well in the world today, even if they're not descended from them. We need to pray for our armed forces. I know many in your families are around the world battling. We need the Lord's help. Look at Exodus 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So apparently he's going to stand where they can all see them on the top of the hill, and he's going to hold this staff of God in his hand so that they could, they could look and lift up their eyes to, to the hill and, as a later psalm would say, be reminded of where their help comes from. It's, it's from the power of God, which is seen in this staff here. But Joshua can't be passive in this. That the battle belongs to the Lord ultimately, but that there is a, a battle for them to fight, and he needs to go find some people who can fight. It's kind of an interesting thing. Choose men and go out and fight. Remember, this is not a, an army here. This is a bunch of slaves. You've got to go find some guys, Joshua, who can fight. You've got till tomorrow. And, and apparently, whatever weapon they have or whatever weapon they can make, Maybe they had plundered some off the Egyptians. Some of them had washed up on the shore, so maybe they had some. But this is, this is not a trained army. This is the motley militia of Moses. But they have a weapon, a secret weapon. It's actually not a secret to them, but their weapon, what was going to give them victory, was God's power as seen, as symbolized in the staff of God as it was held up on a hill. This is the staff that could turn into a snake. This is the staff that could turn the whole Nile River into blood. This is the staff that could, that could make the waters of the Red Sea open. This is the staff that could bring the waters down to drown the entire Egyptian army. The staff that sent down plagues and drowned Pharaoh's chariots can handle Amalek or anything else. God's power can handle that. And even when we may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, David says, we don't need to fear evil because you're with us. And then what does it say? Your rod, your staff, it what? It comforts us. 
to know that he's near, to know the staff and the rod of the Lord and what that represents, the Lord who is our shepherd. And so look at verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, and remember his hand is holding the staff, Israel prevailed. It's, it's the power of God. It's not the power of Israel and their army. And it's not a magic wand. It's not Moses. Ultimately, it's the mighty power of God symbolized in this staff. And, and in the New Testament, we are told we need power. We have an enemy. But our, our battle ultimately, Paul tells us, is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. We battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so as you read this, remember, we have a fight of faith that we're called to as well, and we need God's power as well. And so that takes us to the second battle, the second point that Moses faced, that we face too. And this is number two, the battle with weariness. The battle with weariness. End of verse 11 says, when he couldn't hold up the staff in his hand, they were losing the battle. But it says, Moses' hands grew weary. And remember, this happened at Rephidim, which in, in Hebrew seems to mean props or supports and shrinking of hands. That There might be a play on the Hebrew, Rafu Yadayim, the hands become weak. It says later in Scripture, even youths can grow weary and faint. Moses is no youth. He's, he's 80 years old here. But, but even if you're a young person, try, try, to, try this later. See how long you can hold a, a staff or a stick or a broom or something over your head. You could do it for a little while. But after a while, your, your hand's going to start getting, getting weak. And that's what we read here. And the end of verse 12 says, This battle kept going till sundown. Israel is not going to win this battle with their hands down. And the battle here is weariness, verse 12, but Moses' hands grew weary. And so, notice what it says, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Until the sun goes down, his hands do not go down, not because he was such a, a great guy, but because they were strengthening him to do this. So first, I have the picture here. He's holding the rod, apparently with one hand above his head, but as Joshua's forces, they're fighting and they're doing pretty good, and then it seems like they start losing. They're wondering what it is. They look up and they see Moses' hand has gotten weak. He's not able to hold up the staff anymore, and so what do his brothers do? They, they come alongside him, and they, they give him a place so that he can sit down. So he's, he's lower than them, and then on each side, probably like, like this. So he's sitting there, and they're standing there holding up maybe at his elbows each hand. So he's now with both of his hands holding the, the staff, and he's a little bit lower, and they're supporting his arms, and he's able to keep the staff uplifted. And if you look at the text, it doesn't say Moses asked but this is what good brothers do when there's a man down or going down. This is what believers do when they see someone or should do when they see someone weary in the fight, someone who's not going to be able to, to keep going without help. And it's not just a spiritual issue. Moses believes 
God's power, but, but he needs physical support too. We need to not miss this here. And they didn't just pray for him. Moses isn't doing real good. Let's, let's pray for him. It's, it's good to pray for him, but they didn't just also say to him, Moses, keep your hands up. Moses, keep your hands up. No, they, they stayed his hands. They came alongside him. They uplifted him. And it's good to pray. It's also good to be with people you're praying for. It's, it's also good to think of ways that you can uplift them physically and spiritually and emotionally. And so, brothers and sisters, when you see someone who is weary in the battle, don't just pray and don't just say, if, if you need anything ever, just let me know. When people are, are really struggling, they don't always know what they need and, and they often don't ask but you can come alongside them in, in some way. You can do something. You can offer specific help. Or you can just show up. Or you can bring a meal. You can stop by. You can just say, would it be okay if I just sit with you for a bit? Or you can call them. And, and to pray, not just say, I'm praying for you, but say, could I pray with you if they would? Or, or think of scriptures that you can send them if you can't be with them, scriptures that might help support and uphold them. You don't have to ask a, a leader how so-and-so is doing. Ask so-and-so how they're doing. And if they need physical support, bring it if you can. If they need steadying in some way, if you can do it, do it, do it before the sun goes down if you can. It says right on the wall behind me, encourage one another. And that word means to come alongside to help. So who and how and when can you do that? This is what we're all called to do. Who can you text? Who can you talk to? Who can you try to bear one another's burdens? Maybe even after the service today. Be on the lookout and think about that. And some ways we can grow weary in Scripture. In the Psalms, David talks about how he's weary with sorrow and grief and tears. So he uses the same language, not just for physical weariness, but emotional weariness. There's, with weariness, there's loneliness sometimes. There's lonely people in this room who battle loneliness. And even the great king David needed brothers alongside him, just like the great Moses did. I was reading this week about the reformer John Calvin who battled loneliness and, and weariness. He had the sorrow of his children. I think he had three different children that died when they were young and then his wife and his life companion, Idolette, died and, and he was bereaved of her and he never remarried and he, he faced many battles there were, there were many people who didn't like him. In fact, some of them would go outside his house at night and would fire their guns. One time there was, I think, 40 gun volleys that he had counted that night. People just trying to intimidate him. He battled all kinds of physical weariness. I heard somewhere late in life, Calvin was so weak that he had to have a couple friends come in a chair and carry him with one on each arm and one on the other arm and carry him and prop him up so that he could preach. And as I was reading that, I was thinking about how important it is for us to uplift, to uphold, to support believers and, and leaders and those who are serving here and helping 
share their load where we can. Here's what John Calvin wrote on Exodus 17. As Israel supports their leader, they were sustained. But he says, Moses is not here boastfully commending his own zeal in praying, but he's, he's giving a witness and proclaiming his weakness so that the glory would be entirely attributed to the gratuitous favor of God. That's grace. And he says, there's no question that conscious of the infirmity which Moses confesses later, he associated with him Aaron and her who might assist him in his task. And surely when they stayed his hands, they would have also lifted up their minds and they would have prayed together to God in common supplications. But Moses speaks chiefly of this idea of an intercessor. And the, the stretching forth of the rod of God's power was how the enemy was defeated. And so even that language of the hands being lifted up in chapter 9, Moses, when he goes to pray, it says his hands were, were lifted up. So this can be applied to that, even though he doesn't use the word prayer here. But we need help at times praying together. Sometimes we can't even pray well by ourselves, but we can pray better together. And, and it may be that Isaiah is thinking of Exodus 17. When he wrote these words in, in Exodus 17, or on Isaiah 35, strengthen the weak hands. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God. So that's how we strengthen weak hands. It's, it's to those with an anxious heart, sometimes we need to come alongside them and say to them, be strong, don't be afraid, behold your God, and then think of how we can help them look to God Some of the translations say, steady the tired hands. Isaiah 50 verse 4 says this, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. And we read about this in the book of Acts, how repeatedly the apostles strengthened the believers with words and prayer. Peter wrote this, God's mighty hand may lift you up in due time to make you strong and firm and steadfast. Even the Apostle Paul confessed to the Corinthians his own, these are the words he uses, infirmities, weakness, needs. And he he said to the Thessalonians, do not grow weary in doing good. He said the same to the Galatians. So, So this seems to be a temptation when we're doing good, we can grow weary. Just like Moses grew weary, and so he says to the faint-hearted, uphold, support the weak. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. And Philippians 4, verse 3, he says this, Help these women who have labored side by side with me. So it's not just men, it's, it's women too who labored with him. And then to Timothy, he says this, and maybe even thinking of, of Moses In every place, the men should pray, lifting up holy hands. This picture of of interceding for the people, praying and and lifting up holy hands. And then I was reading this in Paul's last words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. As he's awaiting his trial and possible execution, he confesses his need for brothers to uphold him. Listen to some of what he says in 2 Timothy 4. Do your best. Do your best to come. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And he says, 
No one came to stand by me, but the Lord stood by and strengthened me. He says again, do your best to come. He says it twice. So ultimately, the Lord sustained him and strengthened him. But he, but he needed, and the best of men and women need others with them as well. And so that takes us from the battle with weariness to our third and last point. The victory with trust. And the end of verse 12, the Hebrew word for steady hands is the, the root word for trust or faith. And so this isn't just a physical demonstration for Israel. This is showing spiritual dependence to Israel. This was a, a visual aid to them that they need to depend on the Lord. They need the Lord's power. They needed power from above. Even like a, a, a lightning rod, if you will, it brings power from on high that we don't have on our own. They needed to see by this, by this rod that he's holding up here that they needed God's power from on high. And so Moses is lifting up the rod to, to heaven by faith. And as the, the people look up and they see that, they prevail. They look up on the hill. He went up on the hill so they could all see that. And they see that their intercessor is there, that he is there and he is still interceding for them. He is in touch with God's power for them. That The power that they didn't have on their own, they could never have won this battle on their own. So as we think about that, we don't have a staff, we don't have a stick that we can just hold up that will mediate that power that Moses did, but we have something better, don't we? We have the, the Spirit, the, the power of the, the Spirit. We have the sovereign God who is holding us up as we look to Him in faith. We have the sufficient Word of God that can hold us up. And we have the Savior, Jesus who holds us up. And, and the Spirit, as He holds us up, even sometimes we're too weak to even know what to pray or the words. All we can do is groan, and it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He intercedes for us even when we can't intercede for ourselves with groanings too deep for words. And the Savior, Jesus, ultimately, is who we trust and look to. And maybe you're thinking, I don't see the word Jesus here, the name Jesus. Well, actually... Look at verse 13. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Joshua is just the Hebrew spelling of the Greek name Jesus. Joshua and Jesus would have been pronounced the same by the Jews. Joshua, of course, is the first of, of others who would have this name. But think about this as we think about Romans 8.37. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people. Romans 8.37 says, In Christ we can overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us so. And we have a, a better sword of the Spirit. We have the Word of God that Paul talks about in our battle, and we have the Lord on our side. We can say, like Psalm 18.35, Your hand supported me to the Lord. Your hand held me up. And Psalm 37, 24 promises the trusting believer, though he fall, though he gets weak and he falls, it says the Lord's hand upholds his hand. When you're weary, think of this. Matthew 9, 36 says Jesus sees the weary and he has compassion. His heart is moved to compassion as he saw the weary people. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 28. 
Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Isn't that good news? He's, he's never getting weary. He's never getting tired. And he gives strength to the weary. And he increases the power of the weak. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will not grow weary. They can run and not faint. Isn't that good? Listen to Isaiah 41. God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. The hand that holds everything in the world and the universe, the hand that created this world, that same hand upholds the believer. Don't fear. Look to him. And he says in verse 13, I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear. I will help you. This is our God. We sang earlier, content whatever lot I see, for by his own hand he leads me. So, Lord, I would clasp my hand in thine and never murmur. That means complain or repine. Do we trust him like that? Do we think of him like that? Do we think of him and his hand that upholds us like that? Or do we, when, when things get difficult, do we lean on our own understanding? Do we lean on the everlasting arms. That's where we need to lean. Where does your help come from? We need to lift up our eyes. Lift up our eyes unto the hill. And with all of Scripture before us, we, we can lift up our eyes to that hill far away, can't we? Where's, there's that old rugged cross. Paul says the word of the cross is, for those who are being saved, it is the power of God, the gospel is the power of God. And we're reminded in the gospel that Christ's enemies were defeated when he shamed them publicly. This is Colossians 2. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So he defeated the enemies. We can walk in his victory. But here's another thought as we think of Jesus. In his humanity, he, he knew weariness. He experienced Weariness in his humanity. He was fully human as well as fully God. In John 4 it says he had to come and he had to sit at a stone well midday. It was a hot day because it says he was wearied as he was from his journey. That was in Samaria. He was wearied. He had to sit down because he was weary. But now in glory, in his resurrected glory, he sits at the right hand of power. And there's victory in Jesus. But think of Jesus. We read it earlier in the garden. And he had asked Peter, James, and John to come with him, to be with him, to stay with him, to pray with him. And he said these words, the flesh is weak. Even when our spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And, and Jesus, it says, he fell to the ground. 
He cried out in genuine human weakness, Abba, Father, that's a cry for help. Is is there any other way? And then he goes and he sees weary Peter who's asleep. But Jesus, even when they weren't praying for him, Jesus was praying for them. Think about that. Even when we're not doing very well at praying, there's someone who is praying And this is what Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And he says, afterwards, when you turn, strengthen the brothers. Peter, I'm I'm praying for you. You're going to turn back. You're going to fail, even though you think you won't. But I want you to strengthen the brothers. This is so important, Peter. Peter remembered those words because he does that in his letter. He strengthens the brothers. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says. It's talking about Moses, and then it says Jesus is greater than Moses. It starts, the book starts with how he upholds the the whole universe by the word of his power, and he's sitting at the right hand of, of power and majesty, and then it goes on to say he is able to sympathize with our weakness. He's able to sympathize with our weakness and to to give us help in the time of need as we go to him where he is on the throne. And and so the book of Hebrews is building on this, this, this principle that the key in battle is to know that there is someone who is on high, who is interceding for you. And Hebrews chapter 7 says this, We have a great high priest above who always lives to make intercession. Do you think about that? Jesus, right now, he's always living. He's not just risen. He's not just returning. But right now, he is living to make intercession for his people. He's praying for his people. If you want to know what he's praying, you can look at John 17. Because that's what he's praying there as the, as the high priest there. But it is untiring and unending prayer by our Lord and Savior and great high priest. And so there is... When you think about that, there is power, there is victory. Israel had to look above their battle. We can look even higher before the throne of God above. We have a strong and perfect plea. He's the great high priest whose name is love, and he ever lives and pleads for me. What a thought that is. Even when you're weak, even when, like Moses, you can't stand on your own to uplift with your hands, to know that there is someone in heaven who has our names written on his hands and he stands there in heaven always and in glory he never slumbers, he never sleeps, he's never weary, he's never tired, he's never weak. Isn't that good news? And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you Rest for your soul. He says, come to me if you're weary. And the idea there is if you're sick and tired of your sin, come to him. Come to him in repentant faith. Trust him as your Savior and as your Lord. And if you don't, he comes with a powerful rod of judgment and an overwhelming sword. It is a terrifying and terrorizing thing to fall into the hands of a living God if your sins are unforgiven. But his nail-pierced hands 
are open in a genuine free offer of the, of the gospel. His hands are open to those who will come and who will come on his terms begging for forgiveness from their sins. And those hands are interceding and never ceasing. And those hands, if you believe and trust in him, those hands will hold you fast. So that every believer is secure in his hands. And there is nothing and no one who can snatch a true believer out of that hand. Praise the Lord. So Hebrews 12 tells believers, we need to be fixing our eyes on Jesus. Consider him who has endured so that you will not grow weary. If you're growing weary, I would urge you by the words of Scripture, look to Jesus, fix your eyes on him. So that you don't grow weary. Consider what he endured. So that you can endure. And then Hebrews 12, 12 says, Strengthen the hands that are weak. Strengthen those drooping hands. Think of those around you who need to be strengthened. Moses' hands held up that symbol of God's power. Today we're going to hold up symbols in our hand. In the bread and the cup, there, there, there's nothing magical or mystical about them, but they are symbols of the gospel that is the power of God. And there is power in the blood to prevail over sin. And there is a soul strengthening that God intends from his special presence in this time. And this is a time also to be unified and to pursue those who are at your side. And this is a time to confess sin. This is a time to commit to live in his victory. And let's also commit to come alongside weak believers. Amen. Amen. Let's pray for God's help to do this. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your spirit who gives us your power to fight sin and to win. And we thank you for your son who who taught us men ought always to pray and not faint. I know there are faint and physically struggling ones here. Help them look up to you. Lift up the heavy hearts, the drooping hands, the depressed souls, the struggling, anxious ones. Help the weak believers who are struggling that they would stand firm. Hold up the stay-at-home mom who is battling discouragement or defiant children. Help the young people at schools who are battling ungodly influences. Help the senior saint here who is battling loneliness. Help the spouse who is tempted to give up. Help those in this room in the fight against anger and anxiety and lust and living selfishly and in all these things and more. Help us know how we can come alongside others to help. We pray these things in the name of our great high priest and the great friend that we have in Jesus. Help us to be good friends in his name. Amen.